Welcome back to Bash University Live. Um, awesome little recap there with Pete. He's up there at the St. Lawrence River chasing around those Boulder Broncos, those big giant brown ones, those absolute <laughs> just beasts from beneath. I mean, beast. gosh, it's just seeing him up there and seeing that water is making me want to be up there fishing. Luckily, we headed back up to Champlain next week. That's going to be uh, good. Justin, let's do a quick little recap of our Champlain All right. trip. Before we get to Bob, this will just be be one minute. You know, the, yeah. our, our people on social definitely knew that we were up there. So let's kind of give them a little bit of a uh, a glimpse into it. What was your thoughts on Champlain? Because that was your first time there. Uh, I, I fell in love with the lake. Um, the first day we started off, I hit my head real hard, snapped <laughs> off. Riz called nice, like three pounds small, and then a couple minutes after that, I I hooked up, and from there, it's. You Didn't know. something happen with your lunch? Oh yeah, well yeah, on tournament I had a good week. <laughs> I I caught a lot of fish and had some other stuff happen, but what Jocelyn was referring to, uh, the day of the tournament, I was walking down the boat ramp with my little lunch sack that I needed for the day, and my whole bag ripped, and my waters were rolling down the ramp into the water, and everybody was <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> but other than that no it's awesome lake like yeah. i mean like you mentioned earlier you got to fish your strengths yeah on a yeah. fishery that you know has giant smallmouth in it tons of smallmouth you can do whatever you want there it's really yeah it's uh, so diverse that's what i love about it it really know? is and guys it's one of those places that needs to be on your bucket list and uh we actually shot a show up there a few years ago i think it was 2019 mm -hmm. We shot the Bash University bucket list, um, and that's that's on our website. And just really showcases the lake, talks about the history of the lake, talks about all the different kinds of patterns that can be in play. You know, we talked about some of Pete's and Mike's wins up there over the years. Just a really, really awesome show. But yeah, Champlain was a was a good time. I mean, you know, it's uh, everything was kind of changing when we were up there. Stuff was in transition. Fish were moving. They were kind of everywhere and nowhere. But uh, we ended up having a having a good time up there, and um, stay tuned. You'll be seeing some of that content coming out on our social channels here in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Yes, uh, we actually ran two cameras uh, on my boat for uh, for our practice days up there, and so we'll get some cool stuff. We got we got a couple different shot angles. It'll be a it'll be a good time. But without any further ado, uh, I want to bring on a guy that. Um, is uh he's a he's a northern he's a northern fisheries kind of dude um he's a bassmaster elite series pro he's having a he's having a really nice year and uh we're we're starting to head back up into his part of the world so let's bring him on it's old bob downey <laughs> bob what's going on not much i'm uh just out on the lake practicing uh my smallmouth skills so how are you guys doing we're we're doing good, good man. man we're doing good we're we're in the studio in the office wishing that we could be up there, you know, fishing smallmouth with you. But uh, where are you? What lake are you on? Yeah, I'm on a small little lake up by Detroit Lakes. Uh, it's a chain of lakes, uh, Lizzie, Crystal, and Rush. And uh, I don't know, it's probably not even a 2,000-acre lake, but there's some decent smallmouth in here. And we got some calm conditions today, so I'm just practicing kind of getting up shallow and picking off cruisers. They're not spawning, but they get up shallow and feed so it's a really fun bite and our, our days are just so limited where this happens up here so I figured I'd take advantage of it yeah absolutely well we appreciate you taking a little bit of time out for us to uh to catch up and talk but it, it, talking about fishing up there shallow and you're seeing cruisers what are you throwing at those fish yeah I mean the marabou jig is is hard to beat that's kind of a well-known deal now um but, you know, beyond that, you know, I kind of like to have a kind of a combination of rods ready to go at once um, where I can, they're just kind of dangling over the side of the boat. The bait's not hooked on and I can pick it up and fire it at a fish. Um, and I like to throw, you know, a drop shot, uh, little tubes, uh, Ned rigs, Senkos, hair jigs, and kind of just have a rotation of baits because every one is a little different. It's almost, it's like bed fishing where you're switching up your baits until you find out what they want, but they're not, 
they're up there to feed. They're not up there spawning. Um, so I think the crayfish start moving around a little bit more on those sunnier days, calm days, up shallow. And then there's always perch and minnows and stuff up there too. So it's probably my favorite way to, to fish for smallmouth. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of guys, when they think smallmouth or, or people that don't live in the smallmouth parts of the world, you know, you, you hear smallmouth fishing and you automatically think deep drop shot and 20 foot of water, you know, out there live scoping in the middle of the nowhere on the moon. But really a lot of a lot of smallmouth fishing in the summer goes on up nor or, or up up shallow. Right. Yeah. And what 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 makes you kind of decide, am I going to look up shallow today or am I going to look out deep? Yeah, it's a really unique deal that if you've never done it before, you think, you know, you'd be crazy to go in shallow water on a calm sunny day but um you know for me you know the reason i go up there i like to have calm weather first of all that seems to be when it's best uh, they certainly can get up there in, in windy conditions but you can kind of hunt them down a little better when it's calm you can see a lot better so um, and then sun is a big deal. You know, if you have cloudy conditions, there's still some fish shallow, but your deep bite seems to be more consistent when it's cloudy. So uh, calm, sunny conditions is really gives me the green light to get up there and put that trolling motor on eight to 10 and just go really fast and, and look with your eyes. And if you see them, you know, mark a waypoint and just keep going you know give it a couple hundred yards let it rest let those fish reset back up and then you can make long casts to those areas where you saw them uh, it's really a cool way to fish for smallmouth how uh how how much do they stay put do they kind of stay in an area or are they just cruising down the bank and you know 30 minutes later they could be a mile away or, or do they kind of like just stay stay put for you yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You do get some wolf packs where they're on the move, it's especially if the if the stretch of bank you're on has good habitat for a long ways. They'll they'll meander that whole stretch. But for whatever reason, a lot of times on a flat, there's like a I don't know thirty by thirty yard area where they want to be. And if you bump them off of that area on your trolling motor going fast, just mark it, let it rest let them reset back up and you can make a long cast to it. So it does seem like, you know, even on a featureless sand flat, there might be like two sprigs of cat, you know, or uh, excuse me, cabbage or a little dark spot on the sand. And they just like to sit near something. Uh, maybe it might be one small rock. So they definitely relate to something when they're up there. Interesting. Interesting. How, uh, how long have you been fishing for smallmouth that way? Is that, is that something you started doing pretty early on, fishing shallow for them, or? Yeah, pr well, probably not as long as like you know some of the Johnstons or Gussie or fighters of the world. But I've been doing it probably for eight to ten years now, mm -hmm. and I think it's becoming more well known. It gets exposed a lot on the St. Lawrence River, just because that place really lends itself to shallow fishing. It happens on Champlain too, just depending on the conditions. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing it for a decent amount of time. Right, right. So I got to know, Bob, how did you get the nickname Old Bob Downey? Yeah, it's a good question. I, <laughs> I think the Minkota Humminbird guys came up with it my rookie year. I don't really know how uh, they just started calling me old Bob and then they passed it on to Mercer. And of course, Mercer does what he does with nicknames and he runs with it. And so I don't mind it. It's, it's kind of maybe like a laid back old soul type yeah, of there you go. vibe there you go. to yeah. it. So that's kind of who I am a little bit. So I think it works. Yeah. Yeah. So you're having a, uh, you're having a pretty good year, Bob. You're, you're sitting, I think in 36, 34th 37th and point somewhere yeah, somewhere in, somewhere in that 30. yeah in that in that range so you're you know you're inside the classic cut right now you got to have a few more good events how are you feeling you know going uh going north yeah i mean i'm glad we're going to the last three places that we are going to rather than somewhere in the south i just feel a lot more comfortable up north it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to catch them or do well but I don't think I'll be out of my element anyways. And that always helps on the elite series, especially against that caliber of a field. 
um, the more confident and comfortable you can feel, the better. So, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. Is there one that you have circled, uh, you know, over the others that, you, you know, you're, you're really pumped to get to? I think Champlain. I've never made a cut there. I've fished it twice. I've had always had one good day and one bad day there during the tournament. So I'm looking forward to, to trying to piece the puzzle together better than I have in the past. Um, all three of them are great fisheries and three of my favorites that we ever have gone to. But I'm looking forward to trying to get a little redemption at Champlain. Gotcha. Gotcha. So coming from, you're, you're from Minnesota, right? Yep. Coming from Minnesota, what was the biggest transition or the, the, the biggest adjustment in your, your, your fishing skills that you had to make when you made that jump to the elite series and you started going to new places, fishing new water, what did you have to do to get yourself to be an elite series pro? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I'm still working on it every day, but I think, you know, confidence is a big deal on the elite level. Um, and then just, you know, getting familiar with new bodies water. I did fish down south in college a little bit, and that helped me for sure. It got me away from fishing natural lakes where we get a lot of bites up here. And so college fishing taught me how to how to stay mentally strong through those tough events where you're just trying to get five bites in a tournament. Uh, but then on the, you know, going into the elite series, I didn't really have any national tournament experience when I qualified through the opens. And so I didn't know if I could compete or hang with those guys. So just, you know, keeping your head in it and, and keep pressing and, you know, being, you know, a lot of us have failed a lot over the course of our careers to get to where we're at. So just being able to handle failure well and keeping your head up to to eventually push through and have some good finishes and and gain some confidence is probably the biggest thing um, I've had to learn how to do at that level. It seems like locally it was always the same way when I jumped to the next level you know I'd have success whatever it might be fishing club tournaments 10-15 boats around the house and then you jump into larger team tournaments and regional events and it always took me a little bit of time to have some success and gain that confidence and know that I could compete. And I feel like I'm getting there now in my fourth year where I've, I've had some decent finishes qualified for the classic and um, just try and keep confidence level high. Was there a specific moment or, or a specific event even in that timeline between college and the opens to the elites where like you felt like you got over the hurdle that you needed to get to, to like, feel like, okay, now I'm, now I'm comfortable and I can compete at this next level. Yeah. I would say Lake Gunnersville, my rookie year, uh, that was the year of the pandemic hit and our schedule got jostled around. So we went to Gunnersville in September when there was, it was more of a frog and punching deal. And I do that a lot back home here in Minnesota in September. And so I was real comfortable doing it and ended up sixth place in that event. And that really gave me the confidence that, okay, I can, I can do this. Um, and it also taught me, you know, to fish my strengths too. I just stuck to punching and frogging all tournament and ended up doing well. So it taught me a couple of things, definitely gave me confidence, but it also told me to, you know, stay with my strengths and, and, you know, as much as you possibly can, at least at the elite level. What is it about you, Minnesota guys, feeling so comfortable in in that much grass with a big flip, with a flipping rod in your hand? You know, whether it's you or fighter or schlapper, like it's like you guys all. It seems to lend really well to the way you guys fish. Yeah, I mean we we grew up fishing natural lakes that are full of vegetation. I think that's a part of it for sure. Um, so we're just used to finding that needle in a haystack, putting the trolling motor down, and just fishing. So you come across a group of fish and then punching in particular, we don't get to do it for a a large amount of time up here, but there is a window from like late August through late September where a lot of our grass is topped out and the stuff that's dying is blowing into, you know, cattails and reeds and pads and you can punch a lot of that stuff. And it's honestly my favorite, one of my favorite ways to catch largemouth. What's your setup for that, Bob? Your rod, reel line, all that good stuff. Yeah, I like a 7.6, either a medium heavy moderate fast or a heavy moderate fast. Um, some, that moderate fast just gives you the nice bend in the rod that you need to not blow that weight and hook 
out of that fish's mouth when you do go to set on them. You know, we're using 50, 65 pound braid. So there's no stretch braid. You don't need to be using a, a like a extra heavy, fast type rod. You're just going to blow that hook. Or if you do get them hooked, you're going to create a big hole in their mouth too. And then when they get caught up in the mat, a lot of times that's when you're going to lose them. So somewhat more of a moderate, fast rod is preferred. Have you, uh, have you dove into the uh, Tokyo rig much? A little bit. I've fished it on the river a decent amount, flipping wood. Uh, it seems to like okay. get down into tree limbs and laydowns really well. And my hookup percent, hookup to land ratio is is good. I I don't really know what it is. My guess is that when they get it, they're getting all hook and there's no weight in the way necessarily. So when you do hit them, especially with it's, it's got that ring on it too. That ring right. hook deal seems to be I don't really know why but you you tend to hook them and land them really well with that system do you use that ring hook deal when you're just regular flipping and pitching yeah like when i'm flipping grass with braid or braid to fluorocarbon leader um more submergent grass not so much uh punching necessarily but yeah like when you're flipping submerged grass it seems to be uh i don't know what it is it's something about how how they get them get that hook in the ring almost just seems like it finds its way where it needs to and hooks them really good every time is that um is that the ewg yeah yeah okay do they make that in the do they make a ring hook on the uh on the the flipping style hook no but i wouldn't be opposed to it yeah i was i was just thinking especially now with those new red lines those those yeah hooks are are bad to the bone have yeah, you, uh, well, obviously you've been using that stuff, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the new VMC red lines and kind of, you know, what uh, what they have going on with them? Yeah, so basically we took our most popular bass hooks, uh, all three of the Nico hooks, the, just the regular Nico, the weedless Nico, and the finesse Nico, um, all the sizes. Then we got our straight shank flipping hook, uh, worm hook, a round bend worm hook, and then an extra wide gap. Uh, as well as a finesse treble. And so our most popular bass hooks, we took them, upgraded basically everything on it. It's got a slick coating on it um, for better hook penetration. It's got a really hard point on it. You're not going to roll it. And um, also the keeper systems on the finesse Nico and the straight shank flipping hook have been upgraded from what they used to be. Uh, That straight shank flipping hook, the keeper system is one of the best i've ever used i i have yet to break it or have it slip or slip down the shank on me yet and i've used it quite a bit that always seems to be an issue with straight shank flipping hooks is that keeper system will either break or it'll slip down the shank of the hook after you use it for a while. So, um, yeah they've done a nice job that finesse treble is really sticky uh, it comes stock on the new uh, Maverick jerk bait that they just came out with, and I've been catching a ton of smallmouth with it, and been pretty impressed. Awesome. Speaking of smallmouth, we have a, a question on the message board, and that question is: What is your marabou jig uh, that you like to throw, and then what's your setup for uh, for that jig as well with your rod reel line? Yeah, I use a couple just custom ones that a couple buddies make for me. Um, Can you show us one? Yeah, yeah, I got one right here. I actually just caught one on it before we came live. Um, see if I can get it in the frame here. It's just a little round ball head and um, smaller hook on it. And my setup for it so, rod is typically a 7 6 medium light, extra fast uh, St. Croix Legend Elite, and that longer rod with the extra fast tip just allows you to really sling that thing out there um braid i use six pound suffix 131 braid to either an eight or a six pound fluorocarbon leader and it's the only time i use six pound braid uh, with any of my stuff it just allows me to really sling that cast out there further and then i use an fg knot too which i think is really important for getting a further cast as well Uh, One thing I do a little different with my leader length is it's generally a touch shorter than what I use with a drop shot or a net or a tube. 
uh, it just creates so your knot isn't going through as many guides when you're casting. And that also allows for some longer casts with a drop shot or a net or tube. I don't, I'm usually flipping that out or making, you know, medium length casts. I don't really care how many guides my knot's going through, but with that hair jig, you're really whipping it out there. And so the less guides that knot can go through, the further your cast is going to be. Interesting. Interesting. And that you, you said seven, six on that spinning rod, right? Yeah. So pretty long. I, I know some guys will go up to seven, 10. I don't, I don't really prefer much longer than seven, six, that seven, six seems to do a good enough job. And, um, I can get that hair out there as far as I want. It's usually at eighth ounce head too. And then on that one I was throwing, I don't have a little chunk of plastic on the hook shank, but if you take like a used, um, Senko or something like that and put like a tiny bit on the hook shank, that'll give it a little more weight too. So you can throw it further. Right, help with the help with the casting. I guess that seven six length. That's all about just getting that extra distance on your cast. Extra distance, yeah. And then the medium light helps when you do hook a fish on um, that little that little hook. It just allows for a better hook to land ratio. Right, right. Huh? Yeah, that's a uh, the the hair jig fishing is a. I've never got to do it. Um, yeah, but I want to. It seems like it's a it's such a fun way of catching them when you're hooking those big giant smallmouth up shallow are you do you have to baby them and play them or, or are you more so just you know getting them to the side of the boat and, and getting them in uh because yeah. they're up shallow and they can dig into the, the stuff that you can get in trouble with how do you land those fish yeah you take your time a little bit um that hair jig the hook to land ratio is really pretty good so i wouldn't say like completely wholesome because you are using a bit lighter line and you don't and that hook is the gauge of it is smaller so you don't want to flex out that hook too bad but um you know you, you don't have to play them like you're using four pound tests or anything that if i'm throwing a spy bait and i hook one on a spy bait i'll tend to baby those a little bit more depending right. on how they're hooked if i can see it um, but the hair jig you, you play them out, but you don't need to, like, um, let them just go and go and go until they're completely expired and tired out and laying on the surface. You can definitely wrench them a little bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, from one smallmouth bait to another, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the the new Crush City um, yeah. products from Rapala. We got to look at some of those with you at ICAST last week. Um <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the, the the Ned style baits? Because we just had Pete on, and Pete is really happy with them. He's he's throwing them up there at the St. Lawrence. Um, what makes mm -hmm. those baits special? What makes them unique? Yeah, the Ned style is made out of a – it's not a Laztec, but it's a similar material that is stretchy, and so it floats as well. And I think that's really key with the Ned style bait. Is that just gives it the action that you need. So it, it does float. Uh, it does stretch, so that's going to allow you to catch a bunch of the fish just on one bait, too. And it's got a profile that's uh, it's skinnier, but it has some ribs to it, which gives it a lot like a normal profile, I guess you might say. But the, the skinnier chunk of it on the tail gives it some pretty good action, too. So it's not just like a standard little nub that doesn't really have much action. The, the, the second half of the bait has some good action to it. It's scented as well, um, and we've got it in a ton of different colors, whether you're trying to imitate gobies and perch to your, we've got some morning dawn colors in it. We've got straight white. Uh, so there's, I think there's like 15, 16 different colors in that thing too. So it can suit any sort of forage or water clarity that you're, that you're fishing in. Um, and I've rigged it a couple different ways. You know, certainly on a on a net head, just fishing along the bottom is is kind of your standard way. I've uh, used it uh, on a drop shot with uh, number two finesse Nico. Um, I don't think I've got one on right now, but it, I just thread it on there, almost like you're threading it onto a jig head and fish it that way, kind of spine rigged. And then the last way is. Um, using what I would call like a tight lining or a Demiki rig technique. Uh, some of my biggest fish that I caught here this morning were out in 20 foot and I was 
throwing it on a little eighth ounce head and letting it pendulum down to those fish and then hold, like shaking it right above their head um, with that little Ned BLT. And I was catching some of my better fish doing that this morning. Were you looking at those fish on the Mega Life? Yeah, I was. Yep. Yep. And I was doing the same thing yesterday. Um, a lot of them yesterday came right below the boat. Actually, there's one little point with some grass and rock and a ton of bait in the area. And I, I just got into a flurry and, um, was catching them all on that net, but I was Tamiki rigging it instead of keeping it on the bottom. Gotcha. So you're, you're out there getting dialed in on, on everything. You're, you're fishing deep, you're fishing shallow, you're doing everything in yeah. between. Yeah. Yeah. I really trying to, yesterday I went to a lake that sets up better for a deep bite and did more of that Tamiki tight lining, you know, drop shot stuff. And then today I was out offshore in the morning, but we got good sun coming. And so the rest of the day, I'm just going to get up shallow and go have fun and see if I can't catch some cruisers. Heck yeah. How, uh, how, how effective is that new Minn Kota trolling motor for what you're doing up shallow? Oh, it's pretty incredible up shallow. I mean, I can go, like one to 1 1.2 mile an hour faster on this, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but that is a lot throughout the course of a day, especially when you're covering a bunch of ground up shallow. I can get up to four mile an hour and really cover ground and you're just looking. So you can just cover that much more ground in the course of a day, which means you're going to run into more fish. And um, like I said, you, you know, if I see one, I mark a, a waypoint and swing back around eventually. But um, that and fishing... Um, between docks you can zip from one dock to the next a lot faster and i think out you know the places we got coming if we got a big wind day i think we're just going to have no issues in terms of battery life throughout the course of a day because i can run at a faster speed on number five than i used to be able so i can even tone it down to let's say four when i'd normally run at five and being brushless it's just better for battery life too so when you're when you're up shallow and you're looking for for those cruising smallmouth, give mm -hmm. me an idea of how much time you actually have to spend like looking and because like if you're just cruising around, are you even fishing or are you just holding the rod in your hand and just trolling around and, and looking for them with your eyes? A little of both. I um, like this morning I was just blind casting the hair jig way out in front of the boat while I'm looking. So I'm not even looking at my rod or looking at my hair jig. I'm just casting and reeling it while I'm looking for smallmouth. And sometimes you'll catch a random one doing that. Um, but for the most part, if I'm on 10 on the troller, it's hard to cast at the same time because you're just moving so fast. And I'll, I'll just be looking for them um, when I'm doing that. And then if I do see them, then I'll really slow down. And you can almost, smallmouth are they're curious creatures. So if you're on a big sand flat where there's a bunch of them, you can you can pull down and and they get really silly. They'll swim to the boat and come check you out, and then they'll swim away. <laughs> and there's sometimes where you just wait till they kind of start to swim away and lead them with a long cast and catch them that way too. So um, yeah, there's they do some crazy stuff up shallow. So generally when they are up shallow like that and you find, you see one, is it a good, is a good indicator that there's, there's probably more, there's probably more than just the one you saw? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's like late in the spawn, sometimes you'll find just like one random one Roman where it was probably spawning and there'll be no other ones around. But this time of year you get past the spawn, like this spot I just found, I, you know, I saw one, then I saw two, and then I saw three, and I think I saw five on this one stretch. And um, so, yeah, usually if you see one, there's probably going to be some more with it. Right. And is it is it one of those things that, like, if you get the right conditions, so you get, you get calm, sunny conditions, you're going. You're going to the bank? A lot of times, unless I got something deep going that, that just is better. Like on the St. Lawrence last year, I had a decent finish out there and I started deep every, every morning and would get a good limit or a base limit. And then we had calm, sunny conditions and I would, you know, slowly work my way shallower throughout the course of the day. Um, but that morning bite 
safety can still be really good if you have a school located and it can be good all day long too. Um, but if I've got what I feel like is a max weight out deep, then, then I'll go shallow for sure. Does the, does the shallow fishing actually get better as you get later into the day? Yes. Yep. I would say so. Like, like the higher that sun gets, the better, the better that shallow bite gets. I think the, the crayfish just get more active up shallow and smallmouth are sight feeders by nature. And so they can just see better as the day gets, you know, as that sun gets higher. So more and more fish will come shallow as the sun gets higher. All right. So that's the second time you said the crayfish get more active when the sun gets out. Crayfish are getting active. Why the heck are we throwing a piece of hair? <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know, man. Like, I don't really know what that hair imitates a little leech, a little bug. I just think it's something really finessey that looks really natural and they like, they just zone in on it. There's if they've been pressured, they'll definitely, you know, they won't eat it at times, but um, like today I had one, I threw it right past it in the water column. Didn't even, didn't even acknowledge it. I threw way past it again got it right to it and I dropped it and I let it hit on the bot hit the bottom and the hair just like just like poofed and the thing went right down and ate it so I don't know if it didn't want it up in the water column all of a sudden I dropped it and it thought it maybe was a little craw down there I'm not I'm not sure but um yeah that hair just seems to get bit up shallow it really does how how shallow are we talking like what like one uh, foot yeah one to one to on this lake i can see bottom in 10 foot but i would say most of these fish i'll target today are one to five so you need to have what about five or six foot of water clarity at least to be yeah yeah if you have like three foot visibility or less it can be a little difficult um you can definitely still see them at times but I think that's why the St. Lawrence is so good and Champlain's pretty clear depending on where you're at. And so if you get like eight plus foot of visibility, that really allows you to see well in that one to five foot range. So, um, the, uh, when you're fishing these clear water, smallmouth up shallow, do they tend to group up by size? Like, like they do sometimes when they're out deep or is it more, they, they, they definitely can. Um, they will group up in different sizes as well. It seems like those, if you find a good wolf pack, like three to five of them, a lot of times those wolf packs will go in similar sizes. But if you find a, you know, just a big group of them up on a shallow flat, you'll have all sizes. But those wolf packs seem to be your better quality ones if you can find them. For it's sure. interesting. It's interesting that they uh, that they move together by by size like that. It's yeah. I, on the way on the way to work this morning. I saw I saw three bucks walking across a field, and they were all tall eights that looked yeah. about the exact same size. You know, early season bachelor groups, basically. And it's like yep. it's interesting how you know animals will all kind of do some of some of that same stuff, even though we're, you know, we're talking about deer and, and, and fish or yeah. whatever. Do you, uh, did, did you grow up hunting Bob? Yeah. I bow hunt a lot in the fall for whitetails and I grew up gun hunting. Uh, we just don't gun hunt anymore on the land we used to be able to have access to. So I, I still bow hunt a lot though for whitetails each fall. It's one of my favorite things to do. How much does, um, how much does being able to pattern, wildlife do you think everything kind of translates into fishing yeah i think it definitely translates um i don't know just being in tune with the weather and how animals and fish react to different weather conditions i think you see that in deer hunting and it definitely translates to bass fishing um the one weird thing with deer hunting is deer tend to move better under high pressure barometric pressure situations whereas fish seem to feed better under low barometric pressure so that's one definitely different thing but it it, it does teach you how they relate to cover and 
different pieces of terrain and contour and how they move on edges. Deer, deer relate to edges just like fish relate to edges too. So there's definitely a, a, a similarity there. Right, right. Speaking of edges, so we were we were at Champlain this this past week and uh, out in the middle of the out in the middle of the lake when you're smallmouth fishing and there it seems like there are no edges like. How do you how do you start identifying areas where where you start your search for this for those smallies? Yeah, I mean if you've got somewhat of a featureless um, bottom from a contour standpoint, you know then you're looking for maybe a tiny patch of weeds or a cluster of boulders. Uh, if you've got an entire field of rock and boulders. I always like to look for the sand spots within those boulders. So I'm always looking for something just a little different, even if it's a, a featureless bottom, there's usually something those fish are relating to. Um, even like I said earlier, if it's just a bare sand flat, there's probably gonna be a dark patch of something, even if it only sticks up an inch off the bottom, if you got a square dark patch on and otherwise open sand flat those fish will relate to that so um, if your contour isn't changing much just look for something a little bit different from everything else gotcha guys you got any more questions for uh for bob yeah bob going back to icast i, I was just curious you know we talked to you at the rapple booth a little bit what what are some new things that you know, obviously you, you got to use the crush city stuff a lot, but was there anything else at ICAST that piqued your interest that you're excited for? Yeah, I mean, the new Rapala Maverick jerkbait, I've been using that now since about the Bassmaster Classic time frame, and I've been catching a bunch of fish with it, a ton of smallmouth. It's a, it casts a lot better than some of their prior model jerk baits that they've had. It's got a weight transfer system in it. It's got three treble hooks, which I really like on a jerk bait, especially for smallmouth. You just hook them and land them a lot better with three treble hooks versus two. Uh, it's got the new red lines on it, so you don't really have to change out your treble hooks if you don't want to. But it, it, overall, it's just been a really good both cold water and warm water jerk bait, which can be hard to accomplish. A lot of times you might develop a really good cold water, slower moving jerk bait, um, and it doesn't perform well under warm water conditions for let's say summer smallmouth, but this one does both really well. So I'm excited um, to, to have the public, I guess, get their hands on it. I've been using it for a little while now, and we've got a really good color selection with it too. So out of all the uh, out of all the new Rapala uh, out of all the new Rapala baits, moving forward into uh, into these next three events where there'll be a lot of smallmouth fishing going on, what do you think is going to be the biggest the biggest player for you? Like what's going to put the most fish in the boat? Yeah, probably probably that Ned BLT, uh, the little Ned bait, uh, or the three inch Mayer. It's a uh, basically a kind of a Kind of like the Largo Shad that they used to have. It's a little bit softer, though, and we've got a much better color selection. And I could see using that on a not only a swim bait head, but doing the Demiki rigging or tight lining technique, or even on a drop shot, too. I like to throw a little swim bait on a drop shot uh, if I'm casting it and working it back or drifting. A uh, little swim bait can be good. So I would say either of those two baits. Sounds like. Sounds like there's going to be a good bit of smallmouth getting caught on those then. Yeah. Yeah. Finesse swim baits and Ned rigs. <clears throat> Hopefully, yes. Well, that's awesome. Bob, thanks uh thanks for making some time for us, man. We uh we're, we're going to let you get back to get back to to dialing things in, tuning up your skills up there, but we're uh we're looking forward to uh to seeing you. Uh we'll see you at Champlain, we'll see you at St. Clair um and uh yeah good luck the uh good luck the rest of the way man awesome thanks guys appreciate you having me on good luck, bob all right good luck all right so that was bob downey um got to dive in on a lot of the new stuff from icast mm -hmm. um speaking of icast there was one thing that we didn't really get to talk about but 
one of the coolest booths that I stopped by was the Aqua booth, Aqua View booth. They had their um, ice trailer, I guess yep. you would call it. Yep, yep. And um, I stopped and saw Colt and Michelle, and they were showing us what might be hitting the market soon was something that was really cool. It's it's basically a camera that's run off of Wi-Fi. Is that yeah, right? it was or and Bluetooth. and Bluetooth, Bluetooth, Bluetooth. Yeah. and um, we're really excited that that might be coming out soon. And they have such awesome cameras. They were even showing us how they could sh- see their son on the end of the dock feeding a fish with a crawfish. Huh. He dove under and was feeding them. So, um, so cool. hopefully, Pete's getting some getting some use out of that on the St. Lawrence with that clear clear sure water. Yeah, I mean it's uh the best place in the world to use it that's that's for sure check out aquaview cameras at aquaview.com um, we, you also get a discount with us so that's right you get a lot of awesome discounts mm-hmm. um take a quick commercial yep let's do it come back we're gonna give away some stuff and talk Wrap about what we got coming up next and uh yeah be right back what's going on it's riz here from the bash university and i am excited to welcome in Waterwood custom baits to the Bashu family. These are custom handmade baits in the south rainforest of Brazil. They're made of marupa pedra wood. It's extremely dense, it's resistant, but it's also really buoyant. They're made of quality components with a 100% guarantee. They're made for tournament anglers to get it done when the money is on the line. Guys, that was like my second cast with this bait. That's a waterwood custom bait these things are handmade in the rainforest south of brazil and i mean as you can see right here it's a fish catching bait it's got the front hook that means they wanted it this baits uh it's running really true it throws really well guys check them out at waterwoodcustombaits.com underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fish and rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That's made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod, 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick, every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out doing a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. On the water, not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. All right, welcome back. 
to Bash University Live. It's time to give away some stuff. It's uh, everybody's favorite part of the show. What are we giving away again, Josh? We are giving away for our like and share some Waterwood custom baits. And for our grand prize, we're giving away some Cortland line with some baits. Cortland line. Yeah, we got to uh, we got to meet those guys while we were down at down at iCast again uh, again this past week. They make some amazing braided lines, and their their specialty is making colored braided lines that do not fade. And you know why that's important is, like Pete was talking about earlier um, in in our uh, first segment with him, is that it's so important for strike detection when you're fishing for smallmouth or or, or even largemouth. But if you're fishing deep, you got to have that strike detection and that that colored line that Cortland makes, it doesn't fade. So when you're fishing that stuff and you've been fishing it for a couple of weeks, you don't lose the color of that yellow braid. It stays the way that you need it to be in order to get that really good strike detection. And it's strong. The strength of their eight pound braid is equivalent to that of 15 or 20 for, for most other, uh, most other, other lines out there. So you really got to really want to check them out. Somebody's going to get lucky today. And, uh, and win some of that stuff yeah. um and, and they uh, got new colors coming out too that they, they were teasing and we talked to me and pete talked to fred for a second and jocelyn and he was talking about how he's gonna try to go down to the the six pound test braid because he can't seem to break that eight pound and he wants to get even more finesse on him so just shows you how strong that that braid line really is right we also had a chance to talk with marcos from waterwood uh custom baits and they they are just so cool i you know me i don't fish that much but just looking at these they're they're really really cool and they have really sharp uh, yeah don't hooks. hook yourself Josh. <laughs> yeah he i mean he's awesome yeah these these are some really good baits the deal they are well built, that's for sure. Very well built. Built to win from Marupa Pedra. There you wood. go. Love that Marupa word. Pedra. Marupa. So, um, yeah, we uh, we're gonna be giving some stuff away. We got a Facebook like and share. Yep. Um, do we already have that, Josh? Do we have that winner? We do. It is actually Dan Allen. Congratulations on Facebook like as well. Share. Yep, on oh Facebook. Oh my gosh, this guy is just dialed as they come Dan <laughs> the man Dan Un the man unbelievable guys this week on uh on bash you stay tuned uh we're gonna be releasing a seminar from John Murray uh this Thursday and um it's focused on uh whether you want to target big fish or you want to target numbers of fish and the different approaches that you have to take and John has been with us for a really long time he's a great instructor um, he really articulates very well um, on on all of the topics that that he instructs on. So you definitely want to check them out. He, uh, he he does a really nice job with them. John Murray is one of those guys that like when he there are certain people you you come across in your life that when they talk, you you know, it's like, OK, I need to be listening right mm -hmm. now and I need to be locked in. That's the kind of guy that you get with John Murray. So stay uh, stay tuned for that one coming out this week. And then over on the um, on the on the water release side of things, we got Todd Auten. Uh, the magical fluke is the name of this seminar, and based on the name, you can tell what it's going to be about. It's going to be about fluke fishing, and that is a really really unique bait, and it's a fish catching bait that everybody needs to have in their arsenal, myself included. I don't throw it. I should throw it. I've been smacked around by co-anglers in the back of my boat by that thing so many times that it's silly that I still don't pick it up. But this seminar that Todd gave, he he breaks down the whole system A to Z on how to fish a fluke, the rod, the reel, the line, what you're looking for, all the different scenarios that you can throw this thing on. So stay tuned for that one. That's going to be coming out uh, tomorrow, actually. Uh, wow. Todd Auten with the magical fluke. And then coming after that, we got some uh, awesome seminars coming down the pipe guys. Like we talked about earlier in the show, we shot nine bash UTV seminars at ICAST. And here's a little news breaker for you. Seven of those nine instructors have tour level wins in the last 18 months guys. So we are not, we're, we're, we're getting the best. We're getting the best information from the best in the world. And we're getting the topics that these guys are oh. really, really, 
I stabbed myself. Oh gosh, those sharp hooks. God, I thought I wasn't Sorry. sure what happened there. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, we're we're getting awesome content from these guys. Justin, what was your uh what was your favorite seminar from from am, my guest? Am I allowed to to tease one? Yeah, that? absolutely. Okay. Oh, easily uh Dakota Ebear. I think Ebert. yeah, just he it was super cool to see how excited he was to do the seminar and he talked about like mental approach and stuff right. like that. And right. Uh those are my favorite seminars yeah you know and he uh and he's he's a winner man he he's a winner and he does takes a different approach to practicing and it uh it's super cool seminar i'm excited yeah there was some really good stuff in that one of the things that stood out to me on that that i could never even even think about doing but I'll, i'll tease something that he talks about is when he goes to bodies of water that he's familiar with he deletes all his waypoints yep that's when he won on Sam Rayburn, which is his home body water, went in with no waypoints. Yep. I couldn't ever do that, but apparently. <laughs> Does he delete them permanently? No, or he, just saves, for him, that? he okay. saves them to a card. But when okay. he goes into that new event, he has goes in with goes in with clear, clear eyes. And yeah, uh, that's... there's something to be said for that. It's, you should it's, try it. Yeah, I I should. I definitely, definitely should. And uh there's there's things to be learned from all these guys but yeah i mean a lot of amazing seminars that we got this week i think one of my favorites was um was brandon coulter uh wake it walk it or pop it and that was uh a seminar based on wake baits walking baits and poppers and he gave up some super super juicy modifications that you can do to uh do to all those baits to make them perform better make them perform better under certain scenarios um, so that's, uh, that's one I'll be really looking forward to coming out. And there's so many, I could talk about this for hours, so yeah. I don't even know I, where I'm going with this, but before okay, we end the show, I do want to give a shout out and uh wish luck to our very own Vegas, the hammer this weekend. He is going to be fishing in the youth championship. I think that on Hartwell, on Hartwell, yeah, let's yeah. go Vegas. Yeah. Yep. Just let's go. He's coming off a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming him off and, a win. Man. I mean, I got the win at Cooper river. It's good stuff. It. He's on a roll. Let's hope he can keep it. Keep He's it going. On. He is on a roll. Uh, Justin, you have our trivia question? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, <laughs> the trivia question is going to be, what was the Dean's setup for throwing that Ned rig that he talked about? He was losing some fish on it, but he's going to make some adjustments to to fix that up. What, what was the setup? The rod, the reel, the line? Give as many details as you can on that. Real right. size, rod, real line. Oh my goodness! So, Dan Allen, is that right? Uh, <laughs> You're joking. Yeah, that's that's uh that's correct. It's like you had that already tight. You already knew. You already knew. Dan, this is crazy, man. You are. Uh, are you in? Fire. Are you in the studio? <laughs> on fire. He must have amazing Wi-Fi. <laughs> Like he's ahead of everybody else on the stream because you got fires on fire. <laughs> All right, Dad, you're Congratulations. the Congratulations, you won both our prizes. You won both. All right. Well, well that's I that. Guess that, uh, that. I feel like we missed up. the dean a lot more. Don't worry, he'll be right back here next week. Yep, that's well, right. You won't have to One deal gig with us. Network from Dan Allen. One gig network. All right, guys. Well, thank you for watching Bash You Live. We'll uh, see you next week. We'll be right back. See you next week. I'm Pete Gluzek, the Dean of the Bass University, and we're excited to partner with Waterwood Baits and showcase their innovative handmade approach to making amazing lures. Hey guys, this is Elite Series Pro Todd Alton here. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about the company Waterwood and their crankbaits and topwaters they're building. They're high quality baits. They're made from a marupa wood that's you know, grows in the rainforest in Brazil. It's 1.5 in all the water wood baits because of the wood will be a staple in my arsenal from here on out. I love it. Spotted bass. It's got the old water wood 